by Rebecca Spencer. from almost the halfway line. Hello, this is N17 Women, the only podcast about Tottenham Hotspur women's team. I'm Rachel, I'm your host for today, and I'm joined as usual by Caroline and Sean, and we're hoping that Abby will be able to join us once she gets her Wi-Fi sorted out. So, how have you both been? Yeah, good, thank you. Champing at the bit a little bit now to get the uh, WSL back underway, and good to see the championship and things started, and we've got a little bit of interest there, but yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing some of the Spurs games coming out. Yeah, same. I, I think I finally recuperated from the World Cup, all the sleep deprivation. Um, but I'm looking forward to WSL returning because I feel like men's football has not been as fun of an environment lately. So <laughs> it'll be nice to have a change of pace. Yeah, it still seems really far away. So it's almost a month still to go, but it is already September. Since we were last on air, there have been several rounds of World Cup action, including England's first ever World Cup final and England's first ever World Cup final loss from either the men's or the women's team. There's been some beautiful Spanish football, the sorry story of Rubiales and the RFEF. And closer to home, we've had three more signings, two permanent and one loan and a couple of friendlies. We haven't seen them because they were played behind closed doors, but we've had reports, a few clips. So we'll try and see if we can make any guesses about Robert Wilhelm's plans for the team. Let's start with the Spurs stuff and get on to any remaining World Cup bits at the end. So first off, the signings. And first of those, we're going to look at Barbara Votikova or Barra. She's a Czech goalkeeper. She's 26 and has come from Paris Saint-Germain. So she may have known Celine Bizet, who was also there before coming to Spurs. Barra joined PSG in August 21 and played for them for almost a season before sustaining an ACL, which she's just coming back from. She hasn't had very many minutes since then, but she started to get a few from about May onwards this year. So she's a player of lots of potential who's played at the top level, but we're not entirely certain whether she's back to her best. She's also a vlogger with a popular Czech YouTube channel and according to Wikipedia is one of the highest paid Czech vloggers out there. We needed a keeper with Tinny's departure. So how are you feeling about her? Is she filling that hole? I think it's an interesting call, isn't it? Um, Either we've got a really brilliant keeper on our hands or we've got a bit of a disaster on our hands. It's going to go one way or the other, isn't it? That spurs for you. Hopefully... She's going to come back um, feeling stronger and, and ready to go. And we just, I think what probably it's a question of confidence with her really, isn't it? And and how she's going to, and that's so the early games are going to be important, which is worrying when we start against Chelsea. You've got to take a shot, I guess, when a player like that becomes available, who's had that experience and was at one of the top clubs. You can't really complain about taking the chance when you've also got an experienced keeper um, like Becky around as well. Yeah, I think that, she probably, I mean, I did not know about her before this transfer, I'll be honest. And there were targets out there that I, I think I would have rather seen Spurs pursue. But you're right. She she has been at a top club. So I'm trying to have an open mind about the transfer. And, you know, she seems like a very confident person off the pitch. So hopefully that will translate on the pitch. And I'm I'm mostly curious to see how it ends up if she's going to be the first keeper or if we're going to see... Becky retaining that spot after having such a great summer at the World Cup. I I feel like it could go either way. And until we actually see her in action, it's going to be hard to make a judgment on that from our side of the the, uh, perspective. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that and her relationship with Becky in her sort of introduction 
uh, interview, she was very enthusiastic about learning from Becky and from Becky's experience, especially in the World Cup. But obviously, at some point, we are going to have to see whether or not there is a first choice keeper. And in your ideal world, would you like there to be one? Not, you know, would you like it to be split in a way that wasn't 11 games each? I mean, I think generally speaking, it's better for teams, isn't it, to play consistently with a, with one keeper who can then command his her defence and know the know the players in front of them. It's difficult because Becky's played so well in the World Cup, one of the best keepers in the competition. You know, made a real difference for Jamaica, but last season really didn't have a great season for us. And in, in, in actual, and we know that she has injury issues. So even if Becky was number one, any other keeper is likely to get some games. But if Becky can show the consistent performance for us that she showed for Jamaica during the World Cup, I think she's number one keeper. I think if she plays more like she's played for us last season, I think it's a much more interesting call. Yeah, and as far as Becky goes, you know, I think one of the reasons she was able to have such a good World Cup run is that she had some really high quality defenders in front of her. And I don't want to throw, you know, our team under the bus, but last season definitely was not our best defensive performance overall. And I think it's really going to be interesting to see her with Luana Buhler in that back line, because I think she's going to be a little bit more suited to the way that Becky ideally wants to play as a keeper. You know, we'll see how that works out. But yeah, I think it's definitely better to have a designated number one, just so that there can be that consistency between the keeper and the defense. And so everybody knows, you know, what the expectation is game in and game out. Whoever it is, I I hope that it is going to be more consistent this season. And any thoughts about whether and how Eleanor Heaps fits into all of that? And she's obviously been an academy player. She's come through. She's been training with the squad this summer. We've seen her getting some game time. Do you think it's likely that she goes out again? Or is is there going to be a three-way rotation? I think she probably does need another loan, especially because we know that, I can't remember if it was this past season or the one before, her loan was kind of interrupted by a lengthy injury. So I think she just needs a little bit. Yeah, she just needs a little bit more experience. Although, you know, she has gotten some, some minutes in these friendlies. So the club is obviously taking a good look at her and I guess they'll go from there. But I think personally, she probably is going to need another loan first. Well, I mean, part of the minutes in the friendlies is obviously that Becky's only just got back. So we have only had the one keeper um, other than her. So you don't want to play. And also, I mean, you know, new manager is going to be looking at everybody. And also, obviously, as we'll talk about later, you know, making decisions around Lena Gunning-Williams already and things like that. Yeah, I think if we can survive with two keepers for a season, then it's good to get her out on loan. Two keepers is a little bit, risky particularly when one of your keepers is already injury prone so they might want to keep her around just in case so yeah another interesting call that, that the new manager has okay so our second big incomer was Olga Artinen she is also 26 and is Finnish so that means she's played alongside Evelina in the national team and sort of really sharing the midfield with her she has also been playing in the Swedish top flight for Linkopings. I definitely said that wrong FC for three seasons. This is a team that played against Robert Wilhelm and Stein, so he'll have seen a lot of her and you know what she can do. So she is definitely somebody who has been a target of his. And she's a ball-playing midfielder and very impressively last season won MVP for English people, that's most valued player for the entire league. So she's someone who comes in with good credentials, um, but I don't think she's anyone that any of us knew much about before she signed. So how are you now feeling about her? Well, I think if the manager's 
you know, the manager clearly knows a lot about her and, and was keen to bring her in, then that's obviously a good sign. I mean, how much do we know about people in the Swedish league? Let's face it, it's not something that we watch regularly. But we do know that the Swedish national side are obviously a very good national side. So there's some good players there and they've got they've been doing some good work over the years. So I'm excited. And we've that kind of central midfield role, we've been really looking for somebody to really, you know, take it and call it their own. So hopefully Olga can do that and we can, you know, start to feel like building from the midfield and that will be a big improvement on last season if we can have some kind of solidity there. Yeah. Like Sean, I didn't know anything about this player beforehand, but the important thing is that she fills an area of the pitch that we really needed reinforcement in, or honestly, just like any, any presence, because <laughs> I feel like we didn't have a true sort of defensive midfielder before this, or at least not one that was doing an effective job. So I'm excited to see what she can do. She's obviously an experienced player, both at club level and internationally, so I feel like this looks like it's going to be a good recruiting win for the team. And are you thinking, because you said the defensive midfielder, is that where you expect to see her popping up? I do. I think so. I I mean, it sounds like she's versatile and can play in other areas. But that, to me, it seems like that's the area that we need someone. And that's probably why she came in. Because like we've seen with Grace Clinton coming in on loan, she's more of an attacker, you know, attacking midfielder or striker. So we really needed somebody more on that defensive side. And I'm I'm hoping that that's why she's been brought in. <laughs> okay. And as you just mentioned, we have had a loanee come in as well. So Grace Clinton has signed on a one-year loan from Manchester United. She is just 20. She was an Everton Academy player who got signed by United last summer, but didn't play for them. Then last January, she was loaned out to Bristol City, where she scored six goals playing as a striker slash number 10 and was an important part of their WSL promotion. So she's undoubtedly talented. We've seen a lot of enthusiasm from Manchester United fans about her coming to Spurs. How do you guys feel about it? I think it's, you know, we need more sort of strike power. And we got Beth in obviously last season, but she can't do it all by herself. So having a young striker attacking midfielder is going to be a good thing. We've got lots of attacking options at the moment, looking good from that point of view. Um, so long as there's no kind of requirement on how much she plays within the contract, because it always worries me when those kind of things happen. It's, so long as she's coming on her, she'll play as much as she earns then you know I'm looking forward to seeing her and she's already looking like she's fitting in well with the team in pre-season and getting some goals and some doing some stuff on pitch so just looking forward to seeing what she can do and hopefully helping to um, build up that goal tally. It does seem like she's already fitting in well uh, so that's a good sign. I think the two things that she's going to provide are competition for some of our more established players you know who haven't always had that competition for spots And I think the fact that she's coming from being on loan with a winning team, she's going to be bringing a lot of confidence in with her. I feel like we've already, I mean, we didn't see it literally because it was behind closed door friendly, but you know, obviously she made an impact in those games. So that's good to see. I would say just from the fan perspective, don't get attached to this player because it's pretty obvious that United are not going to be uh, letting her come on permanently after this season, Uh, but we'll enjoy watching her play while she's here. They did. They did. The player they sent out on loan to Villa, though, did sign for them Villa permanently this season, though. So it's not out of the question. But she was more of a senior player. So probably different circumstances. Right. I think with her age, it's it's definitely more a case of this player, you know, we just want her to get more development and Spurs are happy to facilitate it, I suppose. So here we are. 
Well, be- better that way than what we've done in the past with loans, which is aged players from Arsenal who are just looking to get minutes so that their national team don't forget them. And that's been at the expense of other players, uh, you know, other Spurs players. So it's a better loan strategy than our previous one. So we're. I do agree with that. <laughs> I mean, I think, I guess I'm slightly more ambivalent about it. It's not about us developing players for Manchester United, although that's obviously an issue. Not so much in us doing them a favour as in us not developing our own players potentially and getting in young players who we could then develop. So we haven't signed players development aid from other teams at the moment and we haven't done that for a few years. But it's also then about the implications for the league and the fact that then when we play Manchester United, she won't be on the bench um, in the same way as Hansen wasn't on the bench when Manchester United played Aston Villa last year and narrowly won. There's such a concentration in those top four clubs that loan out players and very few other teams loan out anyone within the league. I do think it slowly skews the outcomes because all of those top four teams will have a few games where they play weakened teams because those teams have one or two fewer people that they can play against them. And especially at a point in the season when you have injuries, it can be more of an issue, but I don't know, maybe that's just me. I I just find it very weird. And I know it's happening. And we've just heard about um, in the Premier League, a player going out on loan the other way to Manchester United. But I do find it slightly strange to have within league loans at the level that we do now. But it's it's complicated, isn't it? It's like rooting for... Like, I never felt comfortable with the Arsenal players who came to us because it was like, they're still Arsenal players. Like, you could love them, especially, obviously, Manor, but they still felt Arsenal. Yeah, but I think think with this kind of situation... where the league is at the moment, we'd be shooting ourselves in the foot not to take this kind of loan because we're not there yet where we've got players of that quality coming through our academy and things. We're working on it and we're building on it and we've got roles this season where Vicky and uh, and people have been given roles to specifically work on that youth development stuff. So we're working on it, but we're not there yet. So turning down Grace Clinton at this point, who is obviously a prolific talent and is hoping to show that within the Super League. So having her, she, so she's not going to play in one game for us. When that one game is highly unlikely to change that much about our league position this season. It's unlikely that we're going to finish in the top four this season. So I think at this point, we, it's 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 a good idea. I think in a few years' time, hopefully, we'll be turning around and saying, we don't want that, thank you. We want to be working on our own players. We want to be building them up and we don't want to be losing any potential points because we could be winning against Manchester United and it could impact our league position. But I don't think we're there yet, particularly after last season. No, what I'm saying is it impacts the league position of the top four vis-a-vis everyone else because it means that collectively they all have a few easier games and that when they play Aston Villa or they play Tottenham or they play other teams, it's easier than when Aston Villa plays Tottenham and vice versa, etc. And that reinforces that gulf and that gap. And it also isn't even a Manchester United Academy player. She's an Everton Academy player that Manchester United bought. And that's the thing is like they bought her to keep so that she will be there for when they need her. But in the meanwhile, they'll loan her out to us, et cetera, et cetera. So it isn't the reward for their academy. This one is about buying a player from Everton. But I think at this point in where the league's at, the reality is there is a gulf between the top four and the rest. Aston Villa are maybe starting to plug it. We will maybe starting to plug it. We'll wait and see if any of those teams can make consistently an attempt at plugging that gap. But I don't think you can blame the, the loans 
I don't think the loans at this point make a difference in those gaps. What the problem is, is that Chelsea are going out and buying every player under the sun. Um, you know, they've got, what, four goalkeepers now or something silly. Those are the things that are damaging. And then them sitting on the bench and not doing anything else, you know, just sitting there for Chelsea. That is that is damaging to the league. But until those players get fed up of sitting on the bench waiting, that's not going to change. We need those Beth England, those Rachel Daly players who go, I'm fed up of sitting on the bench. Thank you very much. I want to go and play. Although that talent is filtered down. Equally, it might only be a year that we get Grace Clinton for. But if we finish well in that year then that improves our opportunity to get players next season, you know. So there are bigger implications and a few points here or there for the top four sides at the moment, I don't think is going to make a difference. What might make a difference is it gives us the opportunity to finish a bit higher and then encourage other people. After last season's performance, getting players into Spurs is not going to be an easy, um, easy proposition. Uh, you know, if people don't really know the league, don't really know Spurs, we've got the training facilities, but we haven't got the position that we had last season. If we can get another good finish, that's going to help us. How we do that, if that involves using Grace Clinton, I don't mind. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Sean, that, you know, getting a player like her on loan is a more feasible option for us right now than perhaps recruiting for a permanent transfer. However, I do think this kind of situation is an example of why the club needs to maybe diversify its recruitment sources so that we're not always competing for the same players to sign as, as you know, these top clubs that obviously have a little bit more clout than we do right now, because at the end of the day, you don't want to be overly reliant on a lone player like Clinton. And I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. We'll see. But, you know, ideally there is that competition within the squad and there's someone that can fill in for her perfectly fine when we play Manchester United so that it's not an issue. But I I mean, I think we've talked about this ever since we started the pod that the club needs to be investing more in the women's team period. And, you know, this is kind of just a a symptom of that. And I think as as you've said a lot of time, Caroline, scouting networks, and now we're seeing like, we've got a new coach. So we've got some scouting coming in from Sweden, but that's pretty, that's not exactly expansive networks. Well, and I was really hoping, you know, post-World Cup that we would see, see that change a little bit, but so far we have not. And it it feels like, I know we're going to get onto this later, but you know, a lot of the other clubs in the league have paid attention to those World Cup performances and are you know, bringing in some really strong talent that previously before this tournament might not have gotten a look in. It would be nice if we would do that as well. (laughs) Okay, well, back to Spurs. One of the things we have seen finally is confirmation that Shalina Zadorsky is staying at the club. She signed a one-year contract extension. Any thoughts on that? Well, it's, uh, it's good news, I think, in terms of having an experience with Shalina. I've noticed towards the end of last season, I think, and this season, her social media, she's been quite big on Spurs. Like the men's team, she's put in stuff about results for the men's team. And she's also been putting up quite a lot of stuff this season on her socials about Spurs, which is nice to see. And it kind of feels like she's taking ownership, even though she may well not be captain this season, of being a Spurs player and what that means. And we always talk about, wouldn't it be nice if the men's players paid attention to the women's game? Well, it's nice to see actually the women's team playing attention to the men's game. You know, we are fans. We support both teams. It's nice that players from either side are taking notice of the other side and supporting the other side. So I think that's been really nice to see. Uh, I think she's going to find it an interesting season, whether it's probably only one year because neither side are sure exactly what her role is going to be this season and how much she's going to play. And so one year contract extension, and then we see 
whether that gets extended or not. I think had she had a, a better World Cup, she might have chosen to go somewhere else. Uh, but I'm ple- I am pleased to see her back. And uh, I mean, uh, after everything that she went through last season, I think some continuity maybe and some time less pressure not being captain maybe will be a good thing and she can just find her groove again, I hope. Exactly. I hope that she's just able to enjoy her football this season because I know obviously last season was a really difficult one for her. And like you said, the one year contract kind of indicates that we're not we're not sure if she's going to be staying around longer than this season. But this is an opportunity for her to, you know, take the chance and run with it. Obviously, there's a lot more competition now with Lana Buller coming in. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm glad that she signed the extension because she's always been a fan favorite. I feel like that's fair to say. She has a good attitude. And we know that she she can play really well on her day. So hopefully she gets back to that form this season. We also heard that Lena Gunning-Williams, who signed her first pro contract with the club this summer, is going out on loan to Premier League South team Ipswich. But because they're part-time, she's still going to be doing some training at Spurs with the first team. So that seems like a good idea. What do you think? Good? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. And I don't know that we've had this sort of, you know, structure for a loan outgoing loan player in the past where they're splitting their time between their loan club and and training with us. But I think that's good because it allows obviously our new head coach and also Vicky Jepson, who's kind of in charge of the the youth program now to keep a close eye on her and her development. And I definitely think she's ready for playing regularly and in the team, even if it is in a lower division. So that'll be good to see her getting like this valuable experience that she might not be getting at Spurs just because we do have so many really high quality attacking options now. Yeah, I don't think she's ready for Super League football, um, as certainly not as a regular. I think we have kind of done a little bit of this with other loans. I think maybe Esther and Eleanor maybe did a little bit of coming back to Spurs occasionally, but it wasn't on a, on a regular weekly kind of thing. So Ipswich not being a full-time team, if she's a professional footballer now, which she is, she signed her first professional contract with us uh, over the summer. So she needs to be playing full-time. So getting that experience of staying with the Spurs team and and that experience of training at that level will be good. But you can't beat minutes. And I think, you know, we saw against championship sides in the Cup last season, she um she took a goal and she you know start you know was playing some some good football for the very brief time that we saw her so i think this is a good idea and we hope that she has a really good season and then comes back and starts challenging for a place next season for spurs yeah i'm hoping she comes back and then we won't miss grace clinton at all when she goes We still haven't had confirmation of a few other extensions that we were waiting on that includes Asmita L, Evelina Sumanum and Gracie Pierce but we haven't heard they're going, so let's assume they're staying and we will return to them if and when the club provides any further information. We've also heard about a lot of other transfers into and around the WSL this summer, including most recently Laya Kadina going to Arsenal and Ashley Plumtree and Hinata Miyazawa going to Manchester United. Are these or any others ones that have made you feel really jealous? Yeah, pretty much every transfer we've heard about has made me jealous. <laughs> Um, I I think the big one, though, honestly, probably is Ashley Plumtree, just because, you know, we'd been talking amongst ourselves and identified her as someone who really just would be a perfect fit for what we needed and WSL proven. It it just made so much sense. And yeah, we missed out on that one. So very disappointing. And I think Miyazawa is just so exciting to watch in the World Cup. So disappointed not to get a chance at her either. 
tough though when you know Manchester United have got Champions League football to be offering even though obviously we know there are issues behind closed doors there, doors there but with Champions League football money coming in I'm sure they're making promises about improvements there and all sorts I try not to let my the whole ins and outs of transfers affect me too much just because you watch it on the men's side and the people who seem to just one minute are it, somebody's absolutely the must get person in the next minute it's terrible that we've got them or you know vice versa and just think we don't know what's going on behind closed doors there's really winds me up in the men's game all, all across social media people who are like taking every word that's rumored as gospel and you're just like we don't know cool your jets so i try not to get too worried let's face it two seasons ago we had an absolutely fantastic season with not much different play, you know, with players that have been improved on since then. And last season, we had a terrible season. Who knows why, really? We've got the players there to have a really good season and to challenge. Yes, the league is getting difficult. And we've got a new manager coming in who seems to be bringing with him his own style of football and bringing with him what he wants. So rushing to transfers isn't ever going to be a great idea when you're kind of getting to know a team and we've only just got everybody back. So I'm just trying to be chill about it. And yeah, sure, there are some great players out there. It would have been great to get. But we've got what we've got and we'll have what we have on the 1st of October. And we'll go to Stamford Bridge and we'll try and go one better than we did, uh, or two better than we did our first ever WSL game and actually get a point there. But they only beat us by one goal that game. They beat us by a lot more last year, though. <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're focusing on the on the mirroring of first game of the season at Stamford Bridge. Come sure, on. sure. We're being optimistic, Rachel. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be optimistic um I would say though I mean I agree I don't want to be obsessed with like wanting specific players it would be disappointing if all of our transfers came from the Swedish league I would like to see the club showing that its recruitment is expansive and creative and I think that's the thing that really frustrates me and it isn't easy to see all of those different clubs on a day-to-day basis, given the fact that there are only some leagues that are televised properly, etc. But that's one of the reasons why the World Cup is that opportunity to see play. And of course, we're not going to get the superstars. We are not going to get the golden boot you know, winner necessarily. But there were some really exciting players on some of the less fancied teams who didn't have, you know, as many people in professional contracts, who didn't have people playing in the top leagues. And it would be interesting to hear more about how recruitment was going in those. And again, we don't know, maybe behind closed doors, they are contacting South African players. Maybe they are doing all of these things. I'm just saying that you know, it was, it's about the sort of creativity of their approach rather than specific players that we're looking for. But you talk about, you don't want us going all the way down the Swedish route, but we only bought in one Swedish player. So I don't see that that's, and we, apparently we did approach another Swedish player, get, well, their club, we didn't get it. So we've gone for the goalkeeper that we've got. So we haven't unilaterally been going down the Swedish route. We've still got two weeks, pretty much. The transfer window doesn't close until the 14th of September. Okay, so let's move on to the two behind closed doors that we have heard of. The first was a game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium against Aston Villa, which ended nil-nil. And then we had a game at Enfield Town's Queen Elizabeth II Stadium against London City Bees that ended 9-0 after 60 minutes because it was a 30 minutes each way. Clearly very different types of opposition and not all of our players and definitely not all of Aston Villa's were back with the squad. But there were a couple of things that may be worth noting. 
Molly was the captain in the first game and Evelina was the captain in the second game, despite both of them playing in both games. So that's interesting one to think about. In the game against the Bees, the majority of our outfield players scored. We saw Celine scoring twice, Grace twice, Jess, Kit, Olga, Ash and Haz all scoring. So at this point, most players have had some minutes, including some academy players. So a big shout out to Millie Boughton, Lou Davis and Gracie Hickman. And Gracie playing along with Grace Pierce and Grace Clinton being in the squad must make Spurs the club with the most Graces. I don't know if there's another club out there that you know of that has more than three Graces. Let us know. We haven't, however, seen Amy Turner, Ramona Petzelberger or Grace Pierce across either game on the bench or on the pitch. There may be injury issues we don't know about, but we don't know of any obvious reason for these players not to be there. We know that they were all around at the point at which the manager joined joins the club because we saw video of them. So I'm wondering, is this a clue? Does this suggest that they may be going out on a loan or is it just coincidence? Because our squad has got quite big with all of the injury returnees and a few incoming players. And if there are still gaps, and we didn't really talk, sorry, I missed the bit where we were going to talk about gaps. But I think we've said before there are some gaps, left back being most obvious, that we would like to see filled. So what do you think? Can we deduce anything from this? And are there other interesting notes that you took away from these games? Well, I think first off, it's refreshing that we got this information at all because, uh, you know, we've definitely been critical in the past of the club not communicating enough with fans. And the fact that we weren't able to watch these games, it's really nice that we we got such detailed match notes about it. So if anyone from the club happens to be listening, thank you. But as far as what we can deduce from it, I mean, it's for me, it's really hard to say without having seen seen the game. Like, obviously, it was great that we got some highlight clips from this past game. I know that goal that Ash scored was particularly exciting to see. Uh, we would love to see her playing that kind of very creative spirited uh, football that we were used to seeing from her in the past. But I do think the captaincy thing is kind of interesting because we could be looking at a situation kind of like with the men's team where it's a little more um, diffused this season. So we're going to see, you know, different players with the armband at different times. But I think Molly and Evelina were both, you know, players that we kind of expected could be filling that role. So no real surprises there. I think, Rachel, you were saying that Angrad was playing at left back, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, that's from what we surprising. could deduce. Yeah. yeah. So, from, so from the list of players and the order they were written in and yeah. um, it looks... But I think that in that second game, there probably was almost nobody playing in the defence other than the two centre-backs because yeah. at 9-0 in a 60 minutes and you know, everybody scoring. However, if that was the case, that is kind of an indicator that we really need a transfer to come in for for that left back position, because that should not be happening. <laughs> what do you think, Sean? Uh, well, on the captain thing, I think it's possibly a case that he's just testing out captains. I mean, there has been a leadership group. Ash spoke about being in the leadership group last season. So we did have a couple of vice captains, the way that they have in the men's a captain and vice captain. The vice captains only step up and wear the armband if 
the captain's not there. So I would imagine it's just new manager testing the waters, seeing who he's got. Not surprised by either Molly or, or Evelina getting that opportunity. I was interested that Ash didn't play at all in the first game, um, even though she was on the bench. But then obviously she did come on and play a, a large part of the second game. So obviously not completely unfit. She seems to be back being hopefully building that confidence again to be playing like she was the first half of last season, um, getting in on the goals and uh, not being afraid to take a shot and having the confidence to actually, you know, get it on target, obviously against better keepers different things can happen but in a friendly game pre-season you can only play who you've got in front of you so I think opportunity to score lots of goals is good from what the information we got from Twitter and things it looks like Kit is coming back to her better form again against the lesser side but she certainly seemed involved in a lot of the good stuff that happened which we didn't quite see at the end of last season she came back was playing well but wasn't getting as involved as she has done in the past so good to see her being a lot more involved I think there's a long way to go you know we've got a lot of players who haven't yet had any minute in terms of those three well Ramona who knows she comes and goes like the wind who knows what what's happening with her and we never get any explanation of where she's at Grace Pierce could well be going out on loan you know she's that similar kind of player and particularly given the competition we seem to have in defence at the moment it's better for her to get minutes somewhere else than to be sitting on the bench waiting for her chance although you know when she has had an opportunity in the Spurs first team. She has shown to be a good player. Amy Turner's interesting because you wouldn't have thought she'd be the sort of player that would be going out on loan. And obviously, she, uh, she and has got married over the summer. So congratulations to them. And it'd be an interesting time for them to be parting ways. Maybe that's the way they want to go. I mean, obviously, Amy maybe had a little bit of a turbulent season with us last season uh, and uh, didn't always get to play in her preferred position. So we don't know how that played out with her. So... As I say, we know that the new manager's got a very clear style that he wants to play. We don't know how those players fit into that. So lots and lots of questions to be answered. Well, he's obviously given Molly and Luana a lot of minutes in defence. And so he seems like he likes them, which I'm very happy to see. I mean, you know, Amy has a manager who really likes her, who is in London. So she wouldn't have to live separately to um, Angered if she did go to play for that manager on loan. So there are options which wouldn't be problematic for her personal life. Uh, the thing I really wanted to highlight as well from these games is it looks like Jess has got a lot of minutes and I would love, love to see Jess getting some of the confidence that she had near the end of the 21-22 season. Um, she was top for assists. She was one of our highest rated players that season. If you look sort of statistically, but also, you know, she was still sometimes frustrating and do things wrong and kind of go into a dead end. But she was also really exciting. And I don't think she quite had that um, pizzazz, I guess it is, like last season. And if she is in a system where she has the space to do what she does best, it will be really good for the team. And so I was intrigued by the fact that she was getting a lot of minutes and seemed to be being played very much sort of up front. Fingers crossed she doesn't get an injury this season because that often, you know, she's had so many and she comes back more tentative, obviously, from those. And when she's playing yeah. with confidence, she's an incredible player. Yeah. So I will say when she came back from her last injury, it felt like she had kind of left that behind because um, she looked really good when she came back last season. Yeah. The other- manager also seemed to prefer... Roselle. So we still don't know about this manager on that one. Well, that's the thing. It's a it's a fresh start, you know, for the whole squad. And that's why it is so hard to tell, like, if those players who weren't included in these friendlies, is that like a selection thing? Is that an injury, possible outgoing loan? We just don't know yet. I think the one other thing I wanted to add is that I'm really ready for Celine to have her like true breakout season. 
because obviously we saw like kind of flashes of brilliance last season, but she wasn't as consistent. But I, I think this is going to be her year. So I'm really pulling for that. So using that um, fire from not getting picked for the World Cup. Plus also there's going to be a new manager for Norway. She's got every opportunity to prove her case now, hasn't she? So fingers crossed she's going to do really good for us. Thanks to all of that. And we did see, I think in the second game, it looked like she was playing at right wing in front of Ash. And we know that they combine well on that wing when they play together. But also- also, we saw her doing some tricks and showing some flash. And we know that she likes doing that stuff. And if she gets the space and the confidence to do that, it is going to be fun to watch her. And, you know, we, we want to win, but we also want to watch players who are fun. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we've seen that on the men's side of thing, which I know we don't usually like to talk about on this pod, but it has made a huge difference. My enjoyment of watching the men's team this season that the players are actually empowered to have fun with their football and hopefully Robert is bringing that to the women's team also. Okay, let's spend a little bit of time now wrapping up our discussions from previous podcasts about the World Cup. We haven't talked about the final and nor have we talked about the aftermath. So this is a little bit of time for reflections on all of that. But let's start with the footballing side of things. What were your footballing highlights, whether these related to Spurs or not at all? And just things that made you happy watching the World Cup? I would say watching the Japanese team made me happy just because they they were doing everything so flawlessly up until that last game. And I, you know, I was so disappointed when they got knocked out because that's really who I was rooting for at that point. But but I do just feel like they they played the best football that I saw in the cup from an objective sense. And the other highlight for me was just seeing, you know, some of the regions that have not always had success at the World Cup really showing out and getting their name out there, you know, especially CONCACAF region. I have to represent, you know, Jamaica, Panama, even Haiti. You know, I really, I was disappointed by how their World Cup panned out because I thought they played some good football at times. But yeah, just seeing teams that have not always had had the recognition really showing like that they have the talent and if they could just get <laughs> more resources, which I know we've talked about this many times, but, you know, I really would love for it to be an actual level playing field so that we could could have it be the competition that it deserves to be I mean I think from my perspective the the distance that we've come was was just the joy really um looking at how many people in Australia seem to be really buying into this competition and coming to games and enjoying it and and what we hear about you know I mean Australia isn't really a football country but they seem to really be embracing this um and then as you say Caroline those those nations who've perhaps not been in the World Cup before or not had a great showing in the World Cup before, so many of them had, you know, had at least one game where they really made some history and really showed what they can do. New Zealand um, were one of those as well. Just so many teams having a moment of history and taking that, and some of them, you know, being able to say to their federation, "Look, you haven't given us anything really." But here we are and look how well we're doing and look how much support we've got. Look what we can achieve if you just do. And hopefully that will speed things on in their regions and help them. And also then seeing, you know, that the dominance of the USA is falling away and other teams are coming up and and filling that void. So it's not simply that America are not the team that they once were. It's that other teams are better than they once were. And so we are seeing that development of the game. There's an awful long way to go still. And we're going to talk in a minute, I think, about how the World Cup has really shown 
how much more there is to do. But I think just there were moments within the football for a lot of nations that just showed how far we've come and how how far the game can go. Uh, And I think just looking at the pure joy of the World Cup, that was it for me. Yeah, I mean, all of that. Both of you have so eloquently said, I loved watching Japan. I, you know, guys already know I love watching Aitana Bonmati and so watching her pull the strings for Spain was just joyous even though it was quite painful when it was against England in the final and it was amazing to see so many teams playing just really exciting football and so Colombia really standing out there and just you know that sorry Caroline but that game against Germany really fun I loved watching the Portuguese despite them not getting out of the groups you know there were so many good teams across the board I'm very sad that South Africa couldn't quite make it you know the what ifs were close they weren't far away what ifs and it was fun and I just love having football on every single day I mean I have to say I'm a big fan of the group stages because I think there is nothing better than a final group game where you're watching two things at once and anything can happen so I'm going to miss tournament football. It's been a lot of it over the last few years. And it's, you know, what were the the men's Euros, the women's Euros, the men's World Cup, the women's World Cup, all coming like thick and fast after each other. We're going to have a bit of a hole with just a bit of Olympics next year. And it's not much, is it? What do you think there's going to be the impact on Spurs women sort of bringing it down local to us? Because we had players out there. They weren't, you know, obviously Becky had a great tournament, but, you know, it was in a team that it was exciting their journey, but it wasn't that they were playing the most exciting football. What's the impact locally for us? I mean, hopefully, um, in terms of the players that were there and had good tournaments, it's going to be the confidence of, for them, I think, and the experience that they had. I mean, and Rhea Percival getting lots of minutes after not getting that many minutes for Spurs at the end of last season. So I think there's hopefully lots of and lots of good stories to come back with and enthusiasm for football as well. Hopefully it's increased that. But beyond that, I don't, you know, I don't, for Spurs, we're not really in that place yet. Unless, of course, we suddenly go out and sign a couple of uh, sneaky uh, World Cup heroes. I, I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact directly on us. I, I think season ticket sales are doing pretty well already. But I think because there's no uh, big win like there was in the Euros it doesn't push it in the same way but hopefully um, steady progress I think steady progress is better than a than a big thing because as we saw last season the big excitement falls away pretty quickly yeah hopefully just steady improvement and some players who've had really good experience can bring that back yeah I do think though that not just Spurs but all the WSL clubs could do a better job of promoting their players who aren't lionesses um you know these other players do count and i know especially if you take a player like becky i mean we know that london has a huge jamaican immigrant community like we should be pushing that you know um highlighting her as the you know world cup competitor that she is um and drew spence obviously as well you know who had a great tournament so i think there's an opportunity there that is not being taken advantage of when it comes to growing the fan base But you're right, Sean, I think, you know, some of these players will be coming back with a lot of confidence after getting to play some great football in the tournament and um, hopefully coming together to really, I think, just start start fresh. Last season is in the past. We've got some players who are high on confidence, like let's just go for it this year and, and see what happens. Yeah, let's hope that they bring all of that back and that the excitement is maintained. And it's definitely one of those things where having two tournaments one year after the other means that the sort of normality of women footballers being in the media, people talking about these games is increased. And you definitely feels like it's 
there are more people who know the names of footballers, both Lionesses and to some extent international players. So it will be interesting to see whether that just means that people see it as just a more everyday thing to do to go and watch and follow women's football. However, we can't ignore the aftermath of the World Cup, Rubiala's sexual abuse and the manipulative and controlling behaviour we saw from him and the whole Spanish Federation who tried to um, gaslight pretty much the entire public. But also, and I guess more optimistically, the Sayasabo, I'm probably saying that wrong, solidarity movement, which has brought together players, staff and supporters to say it's over, enough is enough. In the first instance, this solidarity has mainly been from within the women's game, but there have been a few allies and a few clubs in the main game, men's game showing up. So I guess it's starting perhaps to feel like a watershed moment. But on the other hand, there remain so many cases of abuse in the game. I mean, we have to call out Zambia here, whose coach got accused of an additional act of sexual abuse actually at the World Cup, but who was already charged with abuse. And there continue to be so many inequalities and so much under-resourcing of the game, which requires players to make a stand and protest over and again. So how are you feeling at this point? Are we any more hopeful of change? It's hard to say because unfortunately, I think a lot of these dangerous, powerful men are really entrenched in their positions. And I think that the key issue here is that in some cases, like it sounds like the Spanish Federation, there's just not the protocol for removing them is is a lot more complicated and difficult than you would like. I mean, I know, obviously, as an American, I followed the the kind of changes that they made within our domestic league here, the NWSL, really closely. And I think the reason they were able to be successful in making all those changes and having these safeguarding levers in place is because there was a players union, you know, there was really strong protests, like in solidarity from fans, um, and across the league, you know, like the players. So I think this is going to have to be a time when, you know, kind of like you were saying, Rachel, we haven't seen enough solidarity from certain parts of, of society. Um, and I think especially like for me, it was disappointing to watch the Premier League last weekend and not see any visible signs of of solidarity, whereas you were seeing that in other leagues. And it's like this this is a global issue. You know, it can't just be a Spanish issue. We can't leave them out to dry. You know, it has to be everybody supporting them and and getting the change that they need. So I would like to say I feel hopeful. I think it's going to take some time, but it is at least, I don't want to say a good thing that this happened because obviously, you know, Jenny Hermoso should not have had to go through that, but it was so blatant and so overt that it's going to be hard for the Spanish Federation to, to completely, you know, push it under the rug. Like it's out there now. And um, it's kind of highlighted some of the issues that had been overlooked in the past. You know, they're they're coming back up now. So, yeah, we're, we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult to feel particularly hopeful at this point in terms of what's actually, you know, what's actually going to happen is the question. It's it's good to see the movement, um, but it is largely the same people we've seen before. And when you look at the Spanish Federation, we're not just talking about misconduct in terms of the women's team, this guy is the federate, you know, is in charge of the whole kit and caboodle and has done lots wrong in the past as well. And so it wouldn't be inappropriate for Spanish players to be coming out, you know, men's players as well. I mean, it wouldn't be inappropriate even if it was just this, but there's a lot going on. And you would hope that more of the Spanish players would be 
making something of it. We've seen today uh, on social media, FIFA Pro seem to have given out a statement which lots of players are are um, circulating on social media just this afternoon. Uh, so obviously there is more building. But again, you know, we saw Serena and Bomati winning their awards and making a point with their award speeches and the men winning the same awards on the same nights, not doing the same thing. How hard would it be in that situation? Just a sentence to acknowledge what's going on in the women's game um, and in football, uh, the wider football world regarding women and regarding men's behaviour within that world. So we've, it's an opportunity. It's certainly an opportunity. The question now is, what do we do? And it's interestingly juxtapositioned with what happened with Mendy recently in the men's game and the response from a lot of male players to what happened in that situation versus the lack of response by male players to what's happened in this situation, which feels like a double kind of gut punch towards women in general, not just women football players. So it's a hard time, I think, across both games for women. And that makes it hard to be hopeful, I think. It makes it hard to feel uh, optimistic about the situation because there is so much going on in so many different ways. But it is an opportunity and we have to hope that a few more people see it as that and take that on. And it's and it's not just left to the, to the women in the game, once again, to be pushing those buttons and making things happen. Hopefully this is enough to start making a few more people and some of the men in the game join in and recognise the role that they need to play in improving things. Yeah, when you think back to the the Infantino comments as well and all those kind of things, just there's a long way still to go and the World Cup has really highlighted that and it's it's a shame in a way that the joy of the tournament that was all these crowded stadiums and these teams playing out their skins has kind of come crashing down with the reality of of the women's game the way that footballers in general views women um so yeah i, I it's a it's a difficult time i think for all of us as as women who enjoy football to be feeling optimistic but hopefully it's an opportunity and hopefully we keep we keep hoping that at some point, one of these opportunities is going to be taken and things are going to change. Yeah, I actually feel weirdly optimistic, not because I think everything is about to be better, but because I think that what we're seeing is the organisation of women through their national unions and the recognition of that, the necessity of that organisation. And it shouldn't have to happen, but we know in every workplace that it takes that kind of organisation to change things. It doesn't just get bestowed on you. And seeing that is important. And the Spanish Federation revealing just the sort of the depths that they stoop to, much more than the specific behaviours of Rubiales, which were obscene and disgusting, but it was the institutionalised nature of them that got revealed and that people have started talking about. And I think that the conversations that have become much more widespread and have forced people to recognise that it's not about something that is, you know, that gets classified as, quote, serious sexual abuse, it's about the mundane day-to-day infringements on women's space and bodily autonomy and the entitlement of men. And I'm I'm optimistic that the conversation is as global as it is, so that we've seen solidarity in Mexico, obviously, where Hermosa plays. And, you know, it is the first time it's not as many men players as you'd like, but I haven't seen male players standing up for women and women's football 
previously. And we've seen whole teams doing this in Spain, especially. And yeah, it's not enough. And if you juxtapose that to the sort of support for Mendy, it's very different. But it is a little bit of a reckoning and you need to have those if these things don't become public, if they don't become spoken about. And if we don't organise, and when I say organise, I don't just mean people tweeting. I do mean FIFA Pro and Foot Pro in the U- um, in Spain and unions around the world organising with footballers. It's not going to change. So I don't know. You know, it's not like I think the world's great and we've got rid of misogyny, but <laughs> you've got to have a little bit of hope, don't you? On that note, um, unless you want to burst my hope bubble, we are, I think, going to finish for today. And there's obviously a lot more to talk about here. And we might get involved in doing something more on it more broadly. But otherwise, what we will do is be back with you for a sort of reintroduction to the whole squad. If you have friends who are coming new to Spurs Women, that's going to be the podcast to direct them to. Until then, come on, you Spurs.